98. So it was right. This is the 15th year. We're in the 16th year. Yeah. Um, when the, the Parkers first started coming to this church. But I do remember the first Sunday they ever came. I don't remember what I preached and I don't remember what songs we sang, but I know exactly where I was standing uh, when I first met them. And, uh, you know, sometimes God sends some people along and they're just, there's just a connect and you know, this is, we're home, (laughs) I guess. This this is, this is where you belong. Uh, Over the years, um, they were there for the basically the inception of the of the theater company, and so they walked along with Margaret and I in that uh, in that ministry and understood it, got it, uh, and then we've watched each other's kids grow up from teen and preteen status to whatever it is they are now, and uh, um, what a lot of you probably don't know because you don't maybe maybe don't know uh, them that well is. Uh, that they, uh, it, you know, it's one thing to drive from Tullahoma to come to a church service. It's something else to do it every week. And, uh, and not only do they do that every week, but on the weeks that they can't do that, I usually get an email at some point during the week going, you know, we're not going to be there this Sunday, Pastor. This is what's going on. Ooh, my goodness. Uh, Mike doesn't normally say a whole lot, but... Uh, well, it all depends on the circumstances. Uh, <laughs> but I got a feeling he's going to tonight. I love this guy. He's a special man. Uh, would you welcome Mike Parker? Huh. I got a lot of notes tonight, so we may be here a while. I'm going to try not to cough all over you. I've been fighting an upper respiratory thing for about the past six weeks, and uh, sometimes it's winning, and sometimes I'm winning. And right now it's kind of a little bit of a draw. Uh, I I have to say I'm completely humbled to, to be up here. I've, uh, I don't normally come on Wednesday nights because, well, quite frankly, it's an hour drive to get here. Uh, so when, when we moved to Tullahoma, we made a commitment that this is our church, this is our community, this is where we are going to worship. So we, we made a commitment. We are going to be here on Sundays if we at all possibly can. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's just tough. It, it's, it's hard to make that trek. So we don't normally get here on Wednesdays, but it did take some time to look at some of the videos of some of the people who have been up here on Wednesday night sharing their stories. And I, I have to confess, I'm looking around going, why did they ask me to join this august group of giants of the faith, quite frankly? Um, and I don't know. So we get done with all of this. You may be scratching your head going, why did they invite that guy up here? But uh, hopefully... Hopefully something that I say will resonate with you a little bit. How many of you know me or know who I am? Wow, most of you. Uh, would it surprise you that I don't know a lot of you? Um, one of the things that happens when, when you're an actor 
or you have opportunity to be up on this platform every once in a while is people see you and they think they know you because they've seen you up here. Uh, and yet we don't have any relationship because we've never actually sat down and talked or had coffee or any of that kind of stuff. So even though you may know me, maybe, I don't really know you. So this is going to be my opportunity to kind of introduce myself and my family to you and, and maybe we'll get to know each other a little bit better as we go along. I am a writer by trade, um, primarily a freelance writer, which means I write a lot of stories about stuff that I don't care anything at all about. Um, but it's the greatest job in the world because what I get to do is talk to people from all walks of life, from all belief systems, from all levels of expertise and experience. I've had the opportunity to interview quite literally thousands of people over the past 20 to 30 years that I've been doing this. And I used to think that was an exaggeration, but it's really not. I went back and looked and it's like, seriously, I've literally talked to thousands of individuals. Everybody from the, the everyday housewife to people at the highest levels of their professions. I, have, I mean, I could name drop, I'm not going to, but I have, I have literally interviewed Grammy Award winners, Academy Award winners, Emmy Award winners, Pulitzer Prize winners. I have interviewed politicians at the highest levels of the federal government. Uh, I have interviewed people who are experts at caving and people who are experts in the weather. I've even interviewed people who are experts in hair loss, and it hasn't done me any good. <laughs> One thing that I have learned in all of this time interviewing people is that everybody has a story. And I like to think of myself as a storyteller. So if you will allow me for the next half hour or so, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's the story of Mike. And if it had a title, it would be Mike Parker, a holy screw-up. If I can say that. I guess I did, so maybe I'll <laughs> edit it out. I, and I say that because there are two things that I know. And I take this from the great John Newton, the, the man who wrote the world's most beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. When he said it, at the end of his life, I know two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I'm a screw-up. I will be honest and admit that to you. I foul up all the time. And I'm holy because Christ has redeemed me. So, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Life is a story. My life is a story. Your life is a story. I think the way things play out in life, it all follows a pattern of a story, the great story. And the great story goes something like this. If you, uh, those of you who attended my little class on story a few months back have heard me say this before, but the great story goes something like this. In the beginning, everything was great. But then something happened. We call it in Christianity the fall. Sin enters the picture. Something bad happens. And everything's not great anymore. As a matter of fact, everything is dying. 
And so something has to happen. And so a call goes forth for a hero to come forth. And the hero is sent out on a great journey, this, the hero's journey, this great mission of life. And his goal is to find the elixir, something that will heal the problem in the community and bring life back. And on this journey, this hero is going to encounter many, many people. He's going to encounter uh, people who will help him and people who will mentor him and people who will hinder him. And he will meet a great adversary and he's probably going to die. But then somehow, miraculously, he will return to life, come back to the village, bring the elixir and restore life, and everything is good again. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, just take a look at the Bible, and we've got a pretty good picture of there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, it is good. And he put a man and a woman in a garden, and he said, tend it. And it was good. And then the adversary came and whispered and said, did God really say? And doubt entered into the picture. And man fell. And things were no longer good. And so for centuries, for millennia, the people cried out under the weight of the bondage that was on top of them until a great Redeemer came in the person of Jesus Christ who went on a great journey, surrounded himself with a company of men and women who would uplift and support him. He had the mentorship of the Holy Spirit. He was opposed by humans and demons and ultimately went to the cross, died. But on the third day, rose again and brought the elixir of life back to the world and restored balance to the universe. He made a way of redemption. And that's the great story. Now, the problem is most of us, uh, most of us are born somewhere in the middle of all of that. And it's confusing. It's almost like we are born in the middle of a great war and we have no idea how we got here or what we're doing or what we're supposed to do next. I don't know about you, but I've got a daughter. Her name is Bethany. I love her to death. She is awesome. But if you've ever watched a a movie with Bethany, you'll be sitting there watching the same movie that she's watching, and she'll go, why did they do that? Who is that person? What what are they going to do? How did they get where they are? I'm like, you're watching the same movie I did. But if you've ever walked into the middle of a movie, then you really are asking, who is that person? Why did they do that? How, what, what is, you're completely lost. That's how we are. That's how I am. I don't know if that's how you are. It's how I am. I wake up in the morning and go, I have no idea how I got here. I don't know what's going on. I read the newspapers and there's wars and there's famine and there's pestilence and there's a tsunami over in India that wipes out 350,000 people. And I'm going, what is going on? Well, the problem is, I'm in the middle of the story. you got to go back to the beginning to figure out how we got to where we are so we know where we're going to go. And so what I'm going to do in that roundabout introduction is tell you a little bit about my story, about my beginnings. But I can't start with, I was born. I have to go back before that. 
to give you an idea of what my heritage is. Because if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going. And so I'm going to take you back a little bit. I don't know a whole lot about my family history. My older brother is the family historian. Um, but I do know a little bit. I know that my name is Michael Cecil Parker. I always hated my middle name. I hated it because when I was a young boy, say, second grade, there was a really great cartoon series called Beanie and Cecil the Sea Sick Sea Serpent. And so uh, everybody who knew my middle name gave me a nickname, and guess what? It was. So I wasn't really fond of Cecil, but I became fond of it a little later on in life, about the middle of my high school years, when I discovered that my middle name, Cecil, is my grandfather on my mother's side's name, Cecil Edwards. Now, Cecil, I was always, quite frankly, a little scared of him. He was a rough guy. He talked rough. He was, uh, he was a, a farmer and an entrepreneur, and, and he raised chickens for Tyson back when, you know, it was still politically okay to raise chickens and stuff in big chicken houses. And, uh, and he was a mechanic, and he was a war hero, and I didn't even know it. It was, I mean, it was probably about the time that he was getting ready to die that I really realized what he did. This guy was in World War II. He was a mechanic, so he had a legitimate reason to not go when he was called up. He was like in his 30s uh, when he was drafted. And he could have, you know, said, I'm, I have a, you know, a, a, an essential skill is what they called it back then. You could get a, a deferment where you didn't have to go. You could stay. But no, he went. Uh, he served in North Africa and in Italy, and he was wounded twice. He was a legitimate war hero. I had no idea. That was my grandfather. My great-grandfather on my mother's side was Michael Clemens. And Michael Clemens was a church planter. He was an evangelist. He was a preacher in southern Arkansas. He would go around planting little Church of Christ churches. And so all of my mother's side of the family was raised Church of Christ because of that. So my heritage, my name, my namesake, Michael Cecil Parker. Michael was a preacher. Cecil was a warrior. Parker, on my, mom, or on my father's side. Well, they were poor dirt farmers. My... Uh, my great-grandfather on my dad's side homesteaded 40 acres in the southern Ozarks of Arkansas. And they never had anything other than the dirt that they farmed. And that's my heritage. That's where I came from. They were Baptist. Ironically, they lived on a mountain in the Ozarks of Arkansas called Mount Carmel. And they attended the Mount Carmel Baptist Church. Now, if you know anything about Baptists and Church of Christ, I don't know how many of you do, but they don't get along. They argue a lot. Well, my dad was Baptist and my mom was Church of Christ. And I was raised that way. They went to separate churches every Sunday the entire time that I was growing up. And it was not uncommon for my mom to tell my dad he was going to hell because he wasn't Church of Christ. You think I'm kidding, but I ain't. And my mom was a spitfire, let me tell you. When she told you she was going to hell, she wasn't kidding. 
So uh, <laughs> my older brother ended up going with my mom to church, and I ended up going with my dad to church. And somewhere along the time, I was 10 to 11 years old, uh, you know, I, I, I received the message of Jesus Christ, and I surrendered my life to him, was baptized, and uh, accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, at least as my Savior, as much as you can commit to being, making him the Lord when you're 10 years old. Um, but we always went to church every Sunday, uh, you know, like I say separately, but we always came home and had pot roast or something for, for supper after it was over. Then along about the time that I hit junior high, the Jesus movement hit. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember, that was, that was a unique time in the history of the United States, really of the world. It's around 19... I'm going to say 67, 68, 69, 70, that, that time frame there. And there was a young evangelist named Richard Hogue who came to town, and he was bringing his Spirino revival, spiritual revival now. And he had a rock and roll band, and he had long hair and a red coat and, and white preaching shoes, and, uh, and he was something else. And I mean, you know, he would come, that's back when you could, like, the preacher could come and, and have a an assembly for the junior high school kids, and they all came out and listened. And he was awesome. He was, he was very engaging. And, uh, and he led a revival, youth revival. And I mean, tons of people came to the Lord as a result of this youth revival that he was preaching. And I, 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 it, it impacted me. I, I really began seeking the Lord at that point. I was probably in the ninth grade, I'm going to say. And, uh, and I started reading my Bible. And I started realizing that, man, there was stuff in there that I'd never heard before. Like the second coming of Jesus. Back at that time, that was a hot topic. Jesus is coming back in this generation. That was, seriously, we believed it. I'm not sure it's not still going to happen. I'm still here and you know, so this generation hadn't passed away. Uh, but it impacted me. I started reading my Bible on a daily basis. I started going through it from Genesis and working my way through, all the way through the Bible. And, and it became my heart to serve the Lord when I was in junior high school, ninth grade. I'm going to fast forward a, a couple of years now. And uh, still seeking the Lord, still you know, doing my, my thing as a junior high kid, high school kid. Um, but I was involved with the, uh, the Boy Scouts fairly, fairly heavily. Um, went through the Boy Scouts all the way up into the Explorer Scouts, became an Eagle Scout. Uh, ran around with uh, the guys in, the, in the, the, the post, the Explorer post. And uh, one Sunday morning, my best friend, Danny Cox, invited me to come to church with him. And I said, okay. We were out on a camp out. And so we rode our motorcycles back into town. And I'm in blue jeans and a t-shirt and uh, walk into church. And I see this really good looking girl in the youth choir. And I'm thinking, do y'all believe in love at first sight? I, I don't know that I believe in love at first sight because I didn't do anything about it at that point because there was another girl. She was really cute too and I was skirt chasing pretty heavily at the time. Um, she didn't want anything to do with me, uh, which is okay. 
But I started going to that church. And I still had my eye on this little blonde-haired girl up in the, uh, up in the youth choir. And I want to say it was in September. It might have been August, but I believe it was September of 1971. When uh, Billy Graham came to Texas Stadium, brand new Texas Stadium in uh, Irving, Texas, home of the Dallas Cowboys at that time. And the reason there is a hole in the dome is because God wants to watch his favorite team. (laughs) Those of you who don't believe that are just apostate. Um, But we went to, uh, they, they took a bus of the young people to go see Billy Graham at his crusade there in, at Texas Stadium. And uh, on that trip, a friend of mine was sitting with that young lady, and I said, Mildred, introduce me. Or it may have been the other way around. She may have been chasing me. I'm not really sure. It's been too many years. But long story short, Mildred introduced me to Paula Dean. And she was 15 years old. I thought she was a senior. She was gorgeous. And uh, I was still a junior at the time. But she was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, we met. And once we got back from the crusade, being the gallant young man that I am, I said, if anybody needs a ride home, I would be happy to you know, drop you off. Paula wanted to ride home. So did about six other people. <clears throat> so, uh, but I did get a chance to drop her off last. I made sure of that. And uh, we began a relationship pretty much at that point. I called her and asked her out, and she accepted. And uh, two weeks later, I believe, was it two weeks, two dates later? I, uh, three, yeah, three weeks later. I don't know if you have ever kissed someone and fireworks went off and you got weak in the knees, and you almost couldn't stand. If you haven't, you need to experience it, let me tell you. It's, that's what happened to me. I was in love. Now, I'm not talking about I was in like, and I'm not talking about I was in lust. I was in love. And I'm happy to say that that was just the beginning It has just gotten stronger and stronger since that time. (coughs) She was 15 years old at the time. I was 16. We dated for three years, um, then got married. And that was 40 years ago? Yeah, 40 years ago. So um, for those of you who, who wonder if love can last, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) When I was in my senior year in high school, before we got married, um, I I was heavily involved in the church, in the youth group. We went on mission trips. We did the, you know, uh, go to Mexico and help the kids in the orphanages and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I felt a very strong pull towards a deeper level of service. And at that time, really in the church that I was in, we were in a little Southern Baptist church in Sherman, Texas, North Texas, north of Dallas, about 60 miles. 
about the only opportunities that you had to serve was you could be a uh, music pastor, and they didn't call them music pastors back then, you were a music director, uh, or you could be a, a preacher, a pastor, or you could be a, a youth, youth leader, youth director, I think is what they called it back then. So if you, if you felt a call of any kind, it was obviously into the ministry. And since I felt a call, I went and talked to the pastor, and it was like, come on down, you're called to preach the gospel. I'm like, cool. So uh, the church licensed me to preach, and I uh, elected to go to a Southern Baptist University and major in Bible, which I did, Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas, uh, majored in Bible. In my second semester of my freshman year, as a 19-year-old kid, quite frankly, I was called to become the youth director of First Baptist Church, Sweetwater, Texas, which was a town of about 30,000 people. It was the largest church in town. Um, And any of you young people, are there any young people out there? I don't know. Uh, If you're 19 years old and someone calls you to be the youth pastor of the largest church in town, turn it down. It's a bad idea. You are not ready. Um, That's probably a blanket statement. I shouldn't say that. I wasn't ready. Uh, What I didn't realize is that uh, they had already fired the music pastor and they were getting ready to fire the preacher. So when I got there the second Sunday, I was the only staff member at the church. Surprise! Um, And quite frankly, I didn't last long either. I lasted about six months before they fired me because I was charismatic. Um, That's one of the things that I neglected to tell you. In addition to my mom being Church of Christ and my dad being Southern Baptist, my wife was raised in the Assemblies of God. So she was talking about speaking in tongues and, um, you know, that kind of thing, which I had no idea what it was. I actually got filled with the Spirit while I was a freshman in college at a Southern Baptist University because my best friend there at the time was charismatic. Uh, I, I, first I had ever heard about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know there was such thing as speaking in tongues or being healed or uh, casting out demons or any of that stuff. I mean, I read it, but that was all first century stuff, right? Yeah. Turns out wrong. But it didn't dissuade me. I continued pressing forward to get my degree in Bible to become a pastor. Until about mm, halfway through my junior year. And one of my Bible professors, who was a very wise man, his name was Clint Dunnigan, and I appreciate him more than I can possibly say, because he made a comment that went down way down deep in my soul. And it wasn't just to me, he said it to the class. But it went something like this. If you can do anything else in your life, and be happy, other than being a preacher, you're probably not called to preach. There's a lot of things I could do and be happy without preaching. And I realized it. And it, was, it was a really eye-opening experience, and then we prayed about it, and, uh, and I realized that that probably wasn't going to be my vocation in life being in full-time ministry. However, by that time I was married. 
deeply in student debt <clears throat> and uh, had a year and a half left on my degree program. So if you thought I was changing degrees at that problem, yeah, no, there's no chance. So I went ahead and finished up my degree in Bible. So I have a degree in Bible and philosophy. Um, I had been going through ROTC. Once I graduated, went into the military, uh, served with the 3rd uh, Special Forces Group in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Yes, I am a Green Beret. Um, fighting soldiers from the sky. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, okay, I'm going to make a confession here. I'm not a super soldier. Um, you know, we, it was a cool thing. I enjoyed it, but, uh, you know, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because then I'd have to kill you. Uh, now I'm going to get to the part where I'm a holy screw-up. You see... I've been to a lot of churches and I've heard a lot of testimonies by people who said things like, like, yes, praise God, I broke my leg and I got laid up and I couldn't work for six months, but somehow the bills always got paid on time and everything was, and, and I'm like, that ain't my testimony. My testimony goes something like this. I got out of the army and interviewed with IBM. My dad worked for IBM for 30 years. And so when I was getting ready to get out of the army, I interviewed with IBM and had a job as a salesman for IBM, uh, which is a pretty prestigious company and a pretty prestigious job, and it's pretty good money. And about the time that I got out, I got a call that said, we're having a hiring freeze, and we're not going to be able to put anybody on for the next 18 months. Great. I just left a job in the army as a... I was on the captain's list, getting ready to be promoted, and now I'm going into a recession where there's no jobs available. Oh, good. That's exciting. Now I get to move in with my wife into my mother-in-law's home for a while because I didn't have a place to stay. We finally landed a job with Steak and Ale Restaurants as a restaurant manager. Worked at that for about a year, and that was okay, um, but it really wasn't what I wanted to do. So I ended up taking a job with Edward Dean Jones and Company as a stockbroker. Um, which is a really prestigious position, and it's a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it, except that it's full commission, and if you don't sell a whole lot of stuff, you go broke really quick. Guess which one I did. Uh, so I left Edward D. Jones and Company, and I actually moved to another stock brokerage firm, uh, and that's about the time that the Discover card was being launched by Sears. And I uh, applied for a job with those guys, became one of the first five sales representatives hired in by the Discover Card company before they were even called Discover Card. They didn't have a name for it at that point. It was just a, a financial product, and they weren't telling anybody what it was. Um, but I did that for about six years, six, seven years. Uh, I was the, the, the merchant representative of West Texas and Eastern New Mexico. And it was a very good job, paid very well. That was the time when all of our children started coming along. Let's back up just a little bit. Talk about disappointments. Um, children are a heritage. Man, man who has his quiver full is blessed of the Lord. I didn't have a quiver full at the time. I didn't have any. And I wanted kids. Paul and I both wanted kids. We tried for seven years to have kids. And there were still no kids. And that is a heartbreaking thing for any, if you, if you know anyone who has gone through infertility, it's a heartbreaking thing. 
So it was a disappointment. So I'm, that wasn't my testimony of we prayed and the Lord just healed us and we had kids. He did, but it took seven years. While we were in, North, in, uh, in West Texas working for Discover Card, I uh, started volunteering at a local te- television station doing uh, a Christian music video show. And I got really good at it. And they made me the producer of the show. And I got so busy doing that that I neglected my other job. And so I lost that job. And now I'm uh, <laughs> doing a volunteer job making nothing where I was working at a, you know, a fairly prestigious job making a fairly decent wage. <sighs> mm, hard times. I ended up founding another Christian music video show that became very successful. Uh, We were syndicated on 40 different television stations across the country. We were on the satellite. We were broadcast around the world. We were, at one time, the third largest contemporary Christian music video show in the country. And then we decided to open a retail store to take advantage of some of the cross-promotional opportunities. And that went south really fast. And that was the first time that we lost everything. Lost my house, lost our cars, lost it all. Got a job working uh, in a uh, modular furniture resale organization. That was back at the time when cubicles were big in office buildings. And uh, because things upgraded fairly rapidly, there was a big market in replacement parts and stuff like that. So uh, we were a broker for that. And I would make, I made big deals with big companies to buy their furniture and sell it to somebody else. And I actually did very well until the market dropped out of that business. And the company that I was working for basically shut down. And that's the second time that I lost everything. And when I say everything, I don't mean that I lost some. I mean, I lost everything. Clothes on our back, I guess. We had some of that. I took a job editing the news for the local NBC television station, but I had no money to pay for a house or food or pretty much anything else. I ended up sending my family to live with my mother-in-law while I tried to make a living. I was around 35. If you've ever been 35 and not been able to provide for your family, hmm, that's not a good place to be. Now, understand, I was serving God at this time. This was not a matter of, I'm walking in sin and God is punishing me. I can honestly say from the time that Paula and I started dating, all the way through our lives, there has never been a time when it was not our express desire and wish and commitment to follow the Lord. And we did that to the best of our ability. We didn't always do it well. Sometimes I didn't hear as well as I should. But it was always our intent to draw after the Lord, to follow after the Lord. So when, I, when I'm saying this, my testimony is one of well, somewhere or other, I screwed up, somebody screwed up, 
and I'm in the middle of a deep, dark hole, and I don't know how to get out of it. Eventually, an old college or an old high school friend of mine called me up and said, understand you're looking for a job. I said, yes, I am. And he said, great, I got one for you. Retail management. I said, okay, sign me up, because any job's better than no job when you're broke. Um, and I became a operations manager for Burlington Coat Factory in Plano, Texas, and uh, helped open the largest uh, Burlington Coat Factory in the country at that point. Actually was doing very well. We worked that for about a year. Things were going great. I was actually making a living again. I get a call from a friend of mine. His name was Rich Peterson. And Rich says, Mike, I'm getting ready to drive to Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to open up a Christian theater, and I want you to come with me. And I told Paula, and she said, you're insane. We finally have a job. We're making money. We're surviving again. And you want to throw it all away and go to Nashville, Tennessee to do something? No. Basically, she said, no. She said, God will have to hit us with a lightning bolt before we do that. I said, okay, I, I get it. You know? um, I said, but I'm going to ask my boss anyway, just, just to see if there's the possibility of any store you know, around. She said, you can ask, but unless God hits me with a lightning bolt, we ain't going. So my, my supervisor came in from out of town, regional manager, stopped into Burlington Coat Factory, and uh, I was supposed to spend the entire day with him going through the store, doing all the stuff that we do. Turns out that he was on the phone the entire day. I sat in the office as he was on the phone putting out brush fires in other stores throughout the company. At about 4.30, after sitting there for eight hours doing nothing, he said, well, got to go. Okay, before you go, just a real quick question. Um, I'm I'm interested in maybe moving to Nashville. If if, If there's a store in the region and it happens to have an opening sometime in the near future, would you keep me in mind? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, we just fired the operations manager in the Antioch store right there in Nashville, so if you want the job and can be there in two weeks, it's yours. So that's about as close to a lightning bolt as, as I could imagine. We, we, uh, we packed up in, the, in two weeks. I was in Nashville. Paula was, uh, stayed behind until we could find a place. And within the next couple of months, we were here in Nashville opening a Christian theater company, of all things. <sighs> a lot of other things have happened since that time. Um, We've got five kids. They've all grown up to be pretty amazing people. We've met some incredible, incredible people. God led us to this church through people who were part of the theater company, the the Christian theater that we were in, even though it only lasted about a year and a half and died, and Rich went up to the Pacific Northwest and is doing something up there. Um, But it led us to Smyrna Assembly over there, where I met this guy and found out that there really was a heart for Christian theater, or for theater that was for Christians. And it freed me up to pursue a lifestyle that most people don't get to live, quite frankly. Um, There was one other time when we lost everything. But you know what? Through all of that, I can honestly say God 
God is faithful. God is always faithful. When you lose everything, God is faithful. When you lose someone you love to cancer or heart disease or old age or a drunk driver, God is faithful. That's my testimony. I don't always understand it, but I always know that in the end, He is always faithful. You see, God is the great storyteller. And just when everything looks the worst for the hero, in the end, he wins. And he'll win for you too. If you'll let him. Um, The the worship team, those of you who are going to minister, if y'all will come on down. Um, Every once in a while, I'll I'll read a post on Facebook. One in particular that kind of got under my skin this past week. A guy that I know is a believer who has walked with the Lord for a long time. Posted, he said, I am mad at God. This brother of mine, this friend of mine, was, died, and, and he was a good man, and I don't know how God allowed that to happen, and I'm mad at God. And I just wanted, you know, and people were going, oh, we just love you, brother, and you should just, and, and I just wanted to say, grow up. Grow up. Why, why are you getting mad at God? If you want to get mad at somebody, I know a guy that you can get mad at who deserves it, because... The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. So if, I'm going to encourage you. Bad things happen to good people. We live in a fallen world. It's not always good. Sometimes you break your leg and every bill gets paid. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes life's hard. Sometimes you lose it all. God's faithful. God is faithful. So y'all go ahead. Anybody who's, who needs prayer, who, we got people who are going to pray for people. No, I don't know how to do this stuff. I don't do altar calls. If, you're, if anybody needs prayer, come down here. Somebody will meet you and pray with you. So y'all go ahead and do what you do.
captured by a love I can't explain. Now you have me, and I'm forever changed. I've abandoned everything I've ever known. Now I surrender.